Welcome to Business Intentional. Whether you're an entrepreneur, marketing agency, or just interested in following cutting-edge business trends, we will show you how to be business intentional in your industry. Digital media expert Shelby Larson and her world-class guests will show you that the fastest way to successfully grow your business and revenue and not hate your life doing it is by being business intentional. A lot of smart entrepreneurs, they're just burned out. I mean, and that's why it's so critical to understand how to be business intentional so that everyone in your company has that baseline to make the best decisions possible. Now, Cranberry.fn proudly presents Business Intentional with Shelby Larson. Hi, everyone. Welcome to Business Intentional. This is Shelby Larson, your host. And today we're going to talk about a really exciting topic in the business world, and that is publishing and specifically around going for the very elite and elusive title of claiming the New York Times bestseller status. And in recent times, over the last month, the entire um, requirements for how you become a New York Times bestseller has changed. And when I heard this, I knew the only person worth bringing on the show to just really have my listeners understand how that works and how the publishing works world works in general is Michael Drew. How are you doing, Michael? I'm doing amazing, Shelby. Good. I'm so glad to have you here. Thank you for joining us. My absolute pleasure. You're a, a good, dear friend. And I'm more than happy to come on the show. Yes, thank you. Yeah, Michael and I have been friends for a long time. And so it's really exciting when we get to cross paths in the professional world as well. So, you know, let's talk in general first just about publishing, because we all know that publishing your own book, especially in, in the nonfiction sector, is a can be a huge door opener and benefit to your business. So I thought maybe I could first start off just by having you talk about some of the benefits you see. I mean, how many books have you gotten on the New York Times bestseller list at this point? Is it 88? Yeah, you're right. It's uh, 88. 88. I remember it right. Yep. Right. 88 consecutive books on the New York Times bestseller. I don't know if there's anybody else that can that can say that. Um, and, and so what no, if that's, you... that's a few more than Oprah, actually. Yes, exactly. Uh, I think you should put that on your business card. Michael Drew, I have a few more books on the bestseller list than Oprah. It'd be great. Absolutely. <laughs> so let's, what are some of the benefits that you find from your people that you work with, that get their books on the New York Times bestseller, what kind of benefits and doors opening and a business changer has that been for them? Well, it's a really great question. I think it's important to note that book publishing is considered a traditional form of media. And when I say traditional, I mean something that's been around historically for some time. So TV falls into that category, radio falls into that category, movies and books. And for most uh, business owners and what we call thought leaders – Books traditionally has been the only uh, access that they've had to traditional media other than getting on TV or radio shows for interviews. And so the the use of a book for business owners and non and and uh, thought leaders has been used for some time as a way to be able to grow their audience size, to add credibility, to increase uh, sales of products, to increase speaking fees, consulting fees, and create differentiation between, that business owner or thought leader and their competitors. So those things um, really stay the same. I think that what's really interesting is that as we've seen what we call the democratization of media um, online, that, that that democratization of media online has allowed more and more folks to have access to new media that they wouldn't have had access to in traditional media. And so books 
have become far more tactical in their application than they would have been used in the past. Um, we like to look at a book in terms of it being a what we call a precipitory event. Uh, essentially, it's used in most cases as a way to break, to break through that proverbial glass ceiling to get to the next level. Book marketing um, is not a, a great form of, of revenue per se, but a really great way to either A, expand your audience size, or B, deepen the relationships that you might have with your existing customer base. And really and truly, that's where we look at book marketing today. I'd say out of my 88 New York Times bestsellers, six, maybe seven of them made money from the sale of the book or broke even. And the remaining, you know, 81, 82 authors uh, made money from what the book did for their their business. Of my 88 clients, I don't have a single client that didn't increase their year-to-year gross revenue by at least a million dollars through the successful promotion of their book. Right. And that brings up an interesting fact that I think was an eye opener for me when we started having working together on mutual clients. Um, and it's something that you refer to as platform. But, you know, really publishing a book with a platform versus not having a platform is a completely different situation. And, and for those listening, when Michael talks about platform, he's talking about having an existing presence, a business, a, a point of monetization that the book can support as opposed to the book being the thing, right? And so maybe you could speak to that a little bit because that was that was something when we first started working together years ago that was very eye-opening to me, the difference between developing a solid base before you go for it yeah, or not. What, what, we, what we have to remember is that a book, again, being a quote-unquote traditional form of media, is that within that traditional form of media, there are rules that go with publishing a book. When I say rules, I don't mean in terms of creating the content, although there kind of is. I'm, I'm saying in terms of the business of publishing. Um, between 1880 to 1980, the average number of books published each year was around 40,000 books. And it used to be that the traditional New York publishers were able to create the what we call the platform of the thought leader and so or the, the author. And what that would mean is that the author would create the content and the publisher would do the marketing and advertising and get the retail distribution and put the author on a author tour to go to bookstores and speak at different events. And the publisher used to own and control that platform. But as of eight, uh, as of 1980, with the advent of the personal computer, when uh, every Tom, Dick, and Harry believed that they could start writing their book through uh, word processing, that the publishing industry changed dramatically, and publishers went from being able to build platforms for authors to uh, really moving into a space where all they could really do is get retail distribution for a book. And in today's marketplace, traditional publishers don't do more than edit, design, print. Uh, ship and distribute books at the retail level. It is now entirely incumbent upon the author to do the promotion. And as I said, between 1880 to 1980, the average number of books published each year was 40,000 uh, 40, new titles. Last year alone, there were more than 1,076,000 new books published. Now that sounds like a lot, and it is, but what what's slightly disturbing about that is that the number of books being sold each year has not grown at the same rate that the population in North America has grown. And so you have the same number of people or less number of people who are reading books than um, than the growth in population size, and you have a far greater number of books being published. Um, The other thing to note from an industry standpoint is that the average retail bookstore carries 100,000 unique titles. 
Of those 100,000 titles, between 70 to 80% are what we call backlist titles, which are your perennials, your classics, and last year's bestsellers. What that means is of the 1,076,000 books published last year, only 20 to 30,000 of them ever made it onto a retail bookstore shelf. And while certainly Amazon is changing the game, they only represented a little less than 17% of all books sold last year. And so while they're the largest book retailer, they're still only less less than 20% of, of of all sales. So that means that in order to effectively play the book sales game, you have to get brick and mortar retail distribution, Barnes and Noble and Books a Million and Hudson's and so on and so forth. And in in, in order to play that, if you've got a million 76,000 books that are being published and only 20 to 30,000 of them ever make it onto a retail bookstore shelf, you have to ask what determines whether a retailer is going to carry your title over another title. And then just the kind of the, the broad rule of thumb here is that the buyer, the person at Barnes & Noble or Books a Million or Hudson's who determines how many copies of a title they're going to carry, they use three basic criteria. Number one, how well did the author's last book sell at my stores? Number two, how well does the average book by this publisher sell at my stores? Uh, num- number three, how well does the average book in this category sell at my stores? And based on the answer to those three questions, book gets a grade of A, B, C, D, or F. And the grade level will dictate the number of books on retail shelves. And so the the uh, by, by rule, the retailers will only allow their buyer, the person who makes that buying decision, to increase the grade level of a book by one grade. So F to D, D to C, C to B, or B to, B, to, B to A. And that increase is based on one criteria. What is the marketing and advertising that the author is bringing to the table? And so um, what we're really looking at from a distribution and marketing standpoint is what is the author bringing to the table that's going to drive traffic into the store to sell books? Further, the, the, a complicating factor, this is especially complicated, complicating for the publisher, is that every book that's on retail books or shelves are paid for. In the book industry, this is called co-op. And the price to put a book on the shelf is between $1 to $5 per unit, averaging out at about $3. So if a publisher puts uh, 10,000 units of a book on retail shelves, they're going to pay on average $30,000 for that shelf space. But along with that, um, unlike other retail industries, books, the book industry, uh, are fully returnable back to the publisher. So if the publisher puts 10,000 books on the shelf and they only sell 1,000 books, they would have paid $30,000 on average for the co-op. They would have paid $20,000 for the printing, and they're going to get 9,000 books back onto their shelves. And so what we look at in today's marketplace is a risk mitigation mindset, both by publisher and retailers, then the only way to overcome that risk mitigation to a point is by the author bringing to the table a very solid platform and marketing and advertising campaign. Excellent. And this is something that we find in my advertising agency all the time. More and more now we're having authors of best-selling books come to us because they know in order to get the publishing and distribution that they need, they need to have really intelligent digital marketing. So I want to talk about that more. We're going to, we're about to go to break, but when we get back, I want to talk more about what these authors can do to really increase their ability to get their book distributed and also these new changes to the New York Times bestseller requirements and what that means for those of you listening who would really like to be on that list, we'll be right back with our special guest, Michael Drew. Stay tuned as we intentionally pay homage to our sponsors. Cranberry Radio is your new destination for education, entertainment, and engagement. Get educated and entertained by our panel of on-air experts and peers. 
and engage with us anytime by following us on Twitter, Facebook, Google+, and LinkedIn, so you can reach us before and after every program located on our new social shareable live streaming player. Access the new Cranberry Radio live stream player at our website, cranberry.fm. Looking for a white-label SEO and social platform for your clients? Think eBrands. Free and unlimited SEO audit reports. eBrands. Premium Facebook apps and welcome page creators. eBrands. Twitter management app, analytics, and mobile site generators. eBrands. Let eBrands manage your search and social media campaigns and give you and your clients access to their white-label dashboard, which have great reports that will wow your clients and deliver great ROI and results. Try eBrands for 30 days. Go to eBrandsWithAZ.com or call 1-866-625-5717. That's eBrandsWithAZ for eBrands. Is your website hacked? Is your website displaying error messages or loading slowly? Even if there are no signs of malicious activity, your site may still be compromised. Websites, like cars, require regular maintenance to perform at their best and not leave you stranded. At Fjord, our website maintenance experts can help you assess which one of our maintenance plans will best support your needs. Visit FjordDigital.com or call 612-877-3840 and get the support and protection your website and business deserve. That's F-J-O-R-G-E digital.com. Business Intentional is back to build your business and revenue only on Cranberry Radio. Welcome back to Business Intentional. Again today, I have Michael Drew with me. We're talking about the traditional world of publishing, how that can impact your business, and what authors specifically can do in this new environment to really make a book have publishing success. Um, Michael just dropped a lot of information before a break on us. It's so great. And he said something, you said something, Michael, that I wanted to address really quickly, which is interesting and parallel to the digital marketing world, which is in the digital marketing world, we see trends, something works really well, and then all the you know really good marketers get on it and manipulate it so hard that that no longer works. And so then you know Google's or the power that be have to sh- kind of shift that up. And you mentioning publishing going from the marketing of it, transitioning from traditional publishers over to the individual author, I kind of see a parallel there as to why the New York Times bestseller had to change their requirements because it had really gotten to a point where with the right amount of money, you could get your book on the New York Times bestseller list and it didn't have a lot to do with whether the book was mind-blowing so great that it deserved to be on the New York bestsellers list because so many people were devouring it and loving it, right? And so in my estimation, you can kind of correct me if I'm wrong, I feel like this is the New York Times bestsellers way of saying, hey, we want to make the criteria higher, the high standards that we're known for so that people can depend on the books being on the New York Times bestseller list actually being a, a title worthy of being a bestseller. So that's sort of my interpretation of it from the digital marketing perspective. You know, what, what do you think about that? So a couple of things. Um, one thing to note that the your listeners may or may not recognize, but the New York Times bestsellers list is not a real bestsellers list. It's essentially a a complex and sophisticated poll of what's selling. And based on that, just like with, say, search engine optimization, when it, it's sales-based as a single criteria, it, it's easier to work within that system 
um, to figure out what the rules of the poll are to be able to get the results that you're looking for. And, and what the Times has attempted to do is to be able to have their poll be sophisticated enough to actually represent what's selling well nationwide and not just through uh, the ability to create direct sales uh, within that within that system. I think what's important to note here is that, um, you know, I have, I have a couple of competitors in the industry and they've, they have made their, their money on basically allowing their clients to buy their way onto the bestsellers list. And to me, it defeats the purpose of being a, a New York Times bestseller altogether. Not to say that there is an intrinsic value in being a New York Times bestseller, but the, the, val the real value in my experience in being a New York Times bestseller is not the status but rather in the activity it takes in order to become a New York Times bestseller. And just putting money down uh, to buy your own book does not give you that benefit. We, we uh, use the analogy of making a cake. Being the, a New York Times bestseller is like the cherry on the top of the cake. It's not the cake, and it's not the icing. There's, it, there's intrinsic value. It makes the cake look nice, um, and it even might taste good, but it's not really the, the crux of the 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 dessert itself it's just one little uh, attribution for it so for us when we run a campaign what we always look at is how do we leverage this book in a way to be able to help the business owner accomplish their business objective the bestseller is just a side note is just a a result of properly and effectively marketing a book and so the interesting thing for me about the changes at the New York Times bestsellers list is that it doesn't hurt my business at all. It actually makes um, it, it actually makes it easier for me. And I say that from the standpoint that I've never focused on making the bestsellers list. I've always focused on building the platform. And my competitors are, are only focused on the um, bestseller status, which means that these new changes, which I'll go into in a moment, um, are harder for them to be able to meet because they don't because they don't build platforms, they don't focus on all of the other elements. They're only focused on the single data point of book sales. And so what, so just to, to get into it, what's happened at the New York Times historically is when I first started as a publisher um, 20 years ago, it used to be that I could make the New York Times bestsellers list with sales through a single channel. That could be Amazon or Borders at the time or Books a Million or Barnes and Noble. And over the years, they've added more criteria to their algorithm for the polling and they've added uh, they've added more retailers that were required and they started creating a, a waiting system for different retailers one retailers waited uh, sales from one retailers waited more than sales from another retailer um, in the last five years they've added criteria about retail distribution if you don't have enough retail distribution even if you have the sales you don't qualify and with the most recent change as of the end of January, they've added additional social proof as a requirement. So a few things that they've done. Number one, they've eliminated several of their bestsellers list, including their ebook bestsellers list. They no longer have that. Number two, they've reduced the number of spots on each of their lists by five. So some of their lists had, tw had 20 spots, others had 15. So now you're either down at 15 spots or 10. So it's simply harder to make the list. The other thing that they've done is while they're not they don't have an ebook bestsellers list. They are using ebook sales as part of the algorithm. So if you don't have enough ebook sales that go along with the printed sales, then you just don't qualify. Even if you had enough sales in the printed book, you should have enough ebook sales that correlate to the printed sales. Um, so that's one new criteria. Additionally, they're now looking at social proof, both in terms of online engagement as well as offline engagement. So they're looking at what's going on in the blogosphere. Are a bunch of bloggers talking about this content? 
is this being hashtagged on Twitter? Is this being discussed on on Facebook? Are there uh, images and memes and other things going out through Pinterest? So they're looking at what is the online um, laydown and, and conversation around the book. And number two, they're also now looking at traditional media. Are What TV shows are we on? What radio shows are we on? What, what print publications are doing reviews and interviews and articles about the book? So they're now looking at all of that criteria, not just book sales today, in determining whether or not a book um, qualifies to make their list. So for me, because what we've always done is focus on building the platform, we were already doing these things to begin with. We're just now going to be more, we've been more intentional uh, about how we do social media so that we get the proper um, uh, hashtags and other things within the social media so that they see it and that we get credit for it within their algorithm. Whereas for my competitors, they've been missing the list the last several weeks because they don't run their campaigns to cover these other elements. So Again, the New York Times has now become a more sophisticated polling system, and they're now looking at a greater amount of data to determine whether or not a book is going to be included on their list. But at the, bo- but at the bottom line, what I'm saying is that the purpose of a book should be f- for the promotion of the business. A bestseller campaign should be for the promotion of the business. And when we run a campaign, that's what we are always looking at. Yes, and it's interesting. I mean, the title of my show is Business Intentional. And if I'm the New York Times, I'm looking at these criteria changes over time, back starting with when you could get New York Times bestseller through one channel and all the different algorithm changes. Is that the if I'm New York Times bestseller list, I want to be elite and exclusive. And the only way to do that is to protect the list as the economy changes and the ecosystem of book publishing changes and the ability to manipulate this or that changes to add in criteria that is proving that the book is actually worth being on their list. And so I applaud it. I mean, as someone who manipulates algorithms for a living and <laughs> to get benefit, I applaud the New York Times. Now, does that mean it's going to be harder when I want to get my book on the New York Times bestseller list? Sure. But as an overall industry standard, I think that these criteria changes, whether it's in book publishing or marketing online, in order to keep you know the results that people find pure are really important. It's important to set that standard. And we only have a couple of minutes before we go to break, or actually like one. So before we go to break, I the question that I want to ask, one question is, you can just say yes or no, because then I'm going to break. Is there benefit to self-publishing over traditional publishing? Just say yes or no, and then we'll discuss the reason after break. It depends. Ooh, that is not yes or no. We will be right back with Michael Drew to find out why it depends if you should ever self-publish over traditional. We'll be right back. Stay tuned as we intentionally pay homage to our sponsors. Hi, I'm Montel Williams. Most of you know me as a talk show host, but I'm also an author, actor, single father of four, avid snowboarder, and I'm also a medical marijuana patient. Living with multiple sclerosis, I'm in pain every day. Medical marijuana is my last resort, and it helps me when all other drugs have failed. If you'd like more information about medical marijuana, you can contact the Marijuana Policy Project at mpp.org or call 1-877-JOIN-MPP. Do you look at the task of ranking your site at the top of the search engines like you would climbing the top of Mount Everest? It doesn't have to be. 
TopSEOs.com knows how hard that climb can be, and they can make top ranking a reality. Top SEOs send you to only the right search vendors and agencies that they know will work for you. Since 2002, TopSEOs.com has reviewed and researched the best search engine marketing agencies and solutions providers. Don't risk the cost of falling off the proverbial peak of search rankings. Let Top SEOs give you peace of mind. TopSEOs.com, the independent authority on search vendors. Looking for a better way to get more traffic and interaction to your Facebook page? Imagine Facebook interactivity on your page like you've never seen. Introducing your new Facebook marketing fix, So Social, the new and revolutionary way to easily manage and automate your Facebook contest and sweepstakes. Create a fun, easy-to-win contest by writing a simple Facebook post. Watch your post go more viral and generate loads of interaction. Track your traffic and generate email lists with ease. So Social is mobile-friendly and complies with Facebook terms of service. Let So Social give your Facebook page some flash today. Zoom over to zosocial.com. Business Intentional is back to build your business and revenue only on Cranberry Radio. All right. Welcome back to Business Intentional with Michael Drew. And we're going to jump right into why he considers the answer to whether there's ever a situation where it's more beneficial to self-publish over traditional publish as it depends. And make sure, because we're at the end of our show, Michael, that we leave time because I want to talk about some of your best tips in working with publishers and choosing the right publisher. I want to save time for that. So let's first discuss self-publishing versus traditional. When does it make sense? When does it not? And why? Go. So the, the answer is it's an outcome-based decision. It's also based on the size of your existing platform, right? Um, when you look at going uh, publishing a book, the only reason that you would go with a traditional publisher is if your objective was to become a bestseller. So now you've got an advertising uh, avenue known as book publishing to get your message out there. And noting what I said earlier, that part of the criteria is retail distribution and retail sales for the book. Self-publishing authors can't do that. So if you want to be a bestseller and the outcome is benefited by you being a New York Times bestselling author, then you have to go the traditional route. On the other side, if your objective is simply to build your audience or to deepen relationship with your audience, then as an outcome, or other or other outcomes that don't include being a bestseller or getting retail distribution, then self-publishing makes a lot of sense. But what I would what, what I would urge is that if you go the self-publishing route, that you don't try to put books on retail shelves. I mentioned earlier earlier the three criteria that the retailers use in determining how many copies of your book to carry. If you self-publish your book and then try to force books onto retail shelves, it will hurt or make it more difficult to be able to try to get a future title onto the New York Times bestsellers list because it'll be difficult to get that and garner that retail distribution. But again, the short answer is it depends on your outcome, and the outcome will dictate which model is best for you. Uh, Again, I I would utilize traditional publishing only when you're ready to use your book as a big advertising tool by making your book become a New York Times bestseller. And at that point, you absolutely have to go the traditional route. Anytime before that, I think that uh, self-publishing is a really great way to be able to create your content, test it against your audience while building your audience at the same time. Yeah. And I think also it's a monetary thing too. If you're using your book as a way to generate cash, self-publish. I mean, I, I've published through traditional. I make a dollar fifty every time a book's sold, <laughs> right? So it's, it's definitely not a cash generator for me. I'm using it as a calling card and to funnel work into my businesses and things like that. And so 
the outcome, you know, it was different. But if you're if you're listening to this and you want to publish a book to actually make money and you're not going to be going huge um, in order to use it for the bestsellers, like Michael mentioned, then you make a lot more money just from the book sales if you self-publish in general. Okay, so a couple of things that we're getting short on time, but just to recap, because I'm not going to go into this, if with the new New York Times bestseller requirements, the thing that you need to keep in mind is engagement, right? So what is your engagement following in social media? What is your engagement following offline? What are people, how are they talking about you? Are you in the conversations, right? The, it, you know, just the quick and dirty definition of these requirements changes is that the, the New York Times bestseller wants to see that people in your buying segment acknowledge your book, are talking about it, and that it's actually something worth considering. And that's a really accurate quick and dirty description of the why, Michael? Yeah, absolutely. And and the, the, the great thing about what the Times is now looking at is that they're now requiring authors to do what they should be doing anyway. As a business owner, if yes. you're not doing those things, you're not properly leveraging your platform and your content to begin with. Yeah, they're saying New York Times bestseller is not a hack. <laughs> Make it real. So for our yeah. last couple of minutes, what are what are the things when people are looking at traditional publishers? And I know you have some great information that you've published on this. You know, what do they look for? How do they determine if that if a publisher is right for them? I, I was actually talking to a friend just recently who went the traditional publishing route, but he wished he would have realized certain things about his publisher before he choose chose them. He would have chose a different one. So what are some of those criteria that well, they the look first at? Thing is- the first thing is make sure that you're ready to go the traditional route because the truth is if you can't support the book at roughly the level of running a bestseller campaign, hiring a PR firm, doing massive online um, marketing and advertising, being able to pre-sell 10, 15, 20,000 copies of your book, if you're not at that level, you shouldn't even be trying to go the traditional route. You should be self-publishing and building your audience until you get to that point. When you look at a traditional publisher, the best thing that a traditional publisher can do for you is get you retail distribution. So the only thing that I would ever ask a New York publisher is how much co-op, which is buying the shelf space, are you willing to guarantee in the contract? And how many books are you willing to guarantee that you'll put on retail shelves? Those are the two most important things that you could ask any publisher. And if they're not willing to commit to doing those two things... Unless they're giving you a huge advance, two hundred fifty thousand dollars or more, they're not they're not worth um, working with. So, to me, I would ask the distribution question: How many books will you put on on retail shelves, and how much will you put towards co op? That's awesome, and thank you so much for being here. Where can people go to um, talk with you about your services uh, and helping them get on the New York Times bestseller list and some of the other things that you do? Where where, where can our listeners go? Great. So our website is promotabook.media. That's P-R-O-M-O-T-E-A-B-O-O-K.M-E-D-I-A. And my email is michael at promotabook.media. M-I-C-H-A-E-L at P-R-O-M-O-T-E-A-B-O-O-K.M-E-D-I-A. Michael at uh, promotabook.media. Perfect. And we'll have businessintentional.com backslash podcast backslash promote a book with all kinds of tidbits um, and tips from this episode, as well as all the ways that you can reach out and contact Michael Drew. Michael, thank you so much. Always a pleasure because you're my dear friend, but also because you have that amazing brain to have you on my show. Thanks so much. Hey, thanks, Shelby. It's been a real pleasure. Okay. See you all next time.
The opinions expressed are those of the hosts and their guests and do not necessarily reflect those of the staff and management of Cranberry News Marketing and Cranberry.fm. Rebroadcasts or retransmission of this content without proper consent is prohibited 